Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, Ireland and Brexit. How can the UK leave and have an open border with Ireland? It's impossible. So could this be the Achilles heel of the Brexit plan? And if the UK does go ahead, just how much is it going to hurt Ireland? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Now, if you were to follow through on what the Prime Minister said there, you're talking about a hard Brexit. This would be catastrophic in many cases. Obviously, in the case of Ireland, as closest to Britain, uh, would be very detrimental indeed. That's the former Irish Prime Minister, Ender Kenny, giving his impression of just how a, much a hard Brexit is going to hurt for Britain and for the Republic of Ireland. He's also particularly concerned about the reintroduction of a hard border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. After all, 3,000 people were bombed, murdered, killed during the unrest in the 60s and 70s. The Good Friday Agreement was to put paid to all of that, and we can't see that disappear. Yeah, surely. We're not having a return to a hard border with customs posts because that brought with it sectarianism previously. So when Britain made this decision, this is one of the issues that had to be looked at. Now, when the Prime Minister says, I want the best deal for Britain, remember there are 26, 27 other countries on the other side of the table. What? And they don't want what's best for Britain as well? That sounds a bit selfish, doesn't it? Uh, but one of these countries, the one that will lose out the most probably, is Ireland. And I'll tell you what I think about all of this. I think the Ireland question, just how Britain leaves and maintains a border or not with Ireland, this question is insurmountable. And it's going to hurt Ireland possibly more than it hurts the UK. But uh, let's have a look at this. Uh, Ireland is actually one of the countries, Steve, that we actually have a trade surplus with. Britain imports 18.7 billion US dollars from the Republic of Ireland and exports 25.7 billion. So, uh, yeah, that's a trade surplus of about $7 billion. So if we push up a border... And I really can't see any way uh, not to do that once Britain is out of the EU, then we risk losing or, you know, the very least diminishing that surplus. So straight away, we lose as soon as we create that border and we put tariffs up. That's a possible. I mean, don't think you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily have tariffs put up because um, trade borders are one thing and you know, national borders are one thing. Tariff borders are another thing entirely. And we, we presume if one goes up, the other will not necessarily. So you could actually have... Um, the physical border go up and have no duty to be paid as you move goods uh, across that border. Right. That's feasible. Yeah, it is. But although and Britain might make that decision, but the EU might decide that they want uh, the, those tariffs. And uh, of course, you know, we'd, supposedly we're going to follow uh, WTA rules and uh, until we reach that agreement. And we're not reaching an agreement just with Ireland, of course. We are reaching an agreement with 27 countries. Yeah, well, the Europe, and of course, we know the Europeans don't actually want a deal. They're trying to show countries inside the European Union do not attempt to leave. Otherwise, you'll cop a Greek fate or a British fate. Right. And they're trying to make it as unpleasant as possible. So there's every chance that uh, the, the EU is going to say, well, yeah, um, you know, n there's no deal. Uh, follow uh, World Trade Organization uh, regulations. So there will be a tariff between the North of Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. 
Yeah, that's quite possible. And, and we lose that trade surplus as a result of it. I mean, yeah, and that's the smallest part of the problem. Few, I mean, it's pretty ugly. It's one of the few places the UK has a trade surplus. Well, I actually wasn't aware it was that big. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know it was that big. Yeah. Uh, so uh, can, you know, can I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Can you break down what commodities it is that we're actually exporting having a net export surplus in because... Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me that question because uh, I've got it right <laughs> here in front of me. Oh, you didn't think I'd go into this not being prepared. So uh, machines, uh, computers, broadcasting equipment, stuff like that, um, uh, $4 billion worth, US dollars, uh, chemical products, medicines, beauty products, uh, $3 billion, foodstuffs, also almost $3 billion, and $1.5 billion in cars and, uh, and other vehicles. That's, what- that's quite interesting. So were they... Because a lot of uh, Ireland's uh, alleged success has been basing, making itself into a production centre for multinationals to produce uh, within the European Union, then export internally. Uh, but you're saying even though we are part of the EU uh, and it, uh, UK in general runs a trade deficit with the EU, earning a trade surplus with Ireland. Yeah, yeah, we That's are. That's fascinating, yeah. Okay. yeah. I think I, I'll, I'll be interviewing you for this one. I wasn't aware of that at all. <laughs> well, do you want to know what goes the other way? What, or what, yeah, is, sure. what, is, yeah. what is Ireland uh, exporting to the UK? In, uh, well, I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll take a quick punt, and this is actually a little idiosyncratic fact that I learned God knows where, thanks to having an interview another blog post. Is it Coca-Cola essence? <laughs> no, it's not. Because, okay, that's what? the biggest physical, the business physical export from the, um, in terms of physical exports from the Europe, from Ireland, of Republic of Ireland, apparently, is cocoa essence because that's where it's manufactured by both Coca-Cola and Pepsi for export to the rest of the European Union. Right. No, ma- anyway. Yeah, foodstuffs, which would probably include that. I'm not sure. Uh, food and drink was about $2.2 billion. But no, the biggest export to the UK is chemical products, in particular medicine, uh, sense uh, so, sort of completed medicine they actually import quite a lot of uh, the chemical products that make up the medicines from from france but they package it up and make it into into the medicine and then export it to the uk that's four four billion worth of that plus uh, other chemical products and lots of blood apparently they send lots of blood here as well so if you find you s- you're starting to talk kidding. with a slight irish accent it's because we're getting uh, irish blood uh, put into us uh, so that's going to have to stop obviously <laughs> We can't have you. We can't have you. EU blood in uh, in a post Brexit Britain, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, but I mean, the, I think the biggest concern though for Ireland, and this this is actually the main reason I wanted to raise this question: two and a half billion dollars worth of the uh, of the exports from Ireland is meat and dairy, and of course, meat and dairy. Uh, you know, we don't we don't send any of that their way, so that's a that's a one way trip. What surprises me is that the Irish are not making a big thing out of this. Maybe they are, but we're not seeing it picked up in the uh, in the media over here. Because I look at that and I think this is catastrophic for Irish farmers, isn't it? Well, that's actually quite a substantial sum because you're talking like again looking at the trade figure. This is this uh, I've, I've mentioned it quite a few times, like in the Atlas of Economic Complexity, and I'm just using it uh, in a just in an interview for the first time and. Uh, total exports to Ireland, Ireland to the UK were 20.4 billion in 2010. Uh, UK to Ireland, 25.6 billion. So as you say, there's about a 20% trade surplus in the UK's favour towards Ireland. I wasn't aware that was the case. Mm. But if you then if you then break it down and say where does most of that come from, in the UK's direction, most of the stuff that turns up is is food products of various types, bakery products, 1.67, waters flavoured or sweetened, 1% yada 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 but have a guess what is the biggest individual division of uk that's a hint exports to ireland uh union jack underpants i don't know uh, close what? close close yeah 
Is Close. It about the same? Uh, petroleum oils. Oh, yeah, right, about okay. the same. Mm. Okay. Okay, 11.5%. So Scotland is, in fact, if you take that out, 11.5%, that's that's uh, 2.5, roughly 2.356, say 3 billion. Um, so the, this is another reason to expect a bit of um, flack to come out of the, the Brexit negotiations. That is going to mean that, uh, well, you can't not import oil, but the um, the trade barrier going up there might make a bit of difficulty for Scotland because they're, they're 11.5 is petroleum oils, 5% petroleum gases. It looks like about, 20% of the trade with the UK, of the UK with um, Ireland is of exports of petroleum products from, of course, Scotland. Yeah, well, so there we are. There's another loser right there. Scotland, if uh, there are tariffs, uh, is going to make it more expensive to buy Scottish oil. And look, and Irish farmers also heard of their beef exports, more than half goes to the UK at the moment. The rest of it goes to within the EU. Virtually none of it is exported outside the common market, which means they'll need to replace any lost British exports within the EU. But, you know, they're not selling to the EU now. So uh, why are the French suddenly going to buy more uh, beef from Ireland? Uh, and the UK is probably going to be importing more beef from the US, replacing those Irish exports, particularly if there's uh, no free trade agreement with the EU, but there is one with the US. I mean, that whole agricultural export sector in Ireland, I mean, I mean it could be cut in half. I wouldn't say being half, but it's going, to ha- it's going to take a hit. So, um, you know, and of course you say it's this classic uh, combination of both geopolitics and economics in one, that there happens to be a border in Ireland um, that is there for historical uh, reasons far more than whether they're practically or culturally necessary. And, um, but it's a question about protectionism, yeah. isn't it? All of this really, because, I mean, the EU has been hugely protectionist for agriculture. Uh, mm. Britain's been part of that. Ireland's been part of it. We're stepping outside, and the consequences are going to be felt by Ireland, who is so reliant on the UK as a market under this EU protectionist regime. So... Uh, it, does that mean that protectionism has been a bad thing, or has it? I mean, it's been a good thing until now. Well, I, I'm never. I'm no great. I don't worry a great deal about protection, particularly. Uh, but funnily enough, I was actually at a talk last night with uh, Nick Grun, who's a well-known Australian economist, very nice guy, and his dad, Fred Grun, was the person who persuaded um, with, uh, Gough Whitlam to cut tariffs 25% by surprise overnight and still regards as his greatest economic success. I see that as an economic catastrophe because that completely destroyed supply chains and indeed entire firms in Australia's uh, case uh, back 30, 40 years ago. But a 25% cut to tariffs back then was substantial. If you had a 25% increase in tariffs, now you'd barely notice it because for most goods, tariffs globally are running at about 2 to 5%, uh, nothing like the... 20 to 40 percent level that used to apply mm. and of course the, the 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 americans have recently slapped a tariff on i think on some particular chinese export and actually it wasn't i think it may have even been a, a uk export of uh, over 120 uh, percent but we're, we're talking very very trivial levels compared to what applied back in the um, in the 60s and 70s because economists have succeeded in destroying tariff barriers via all these trade agreements so to me, it's not a major issue. It will make a slight complication. I don't think it's going to have a disastrous impact, but it will have impact given the scale of, uh, of those exports 
and it's the only country that I can think of where the UK is going to have a trade surplus. Mm. Oh, so, so by the way, it was a threat to Bombardier in Northern Ireland, uh, a company that makes parts for fighter jets. The, the, the threat was a 219% levy. I don't think that's gone ahead. There, there was just all talk. Strange that uh, from the President of the United States. But that's Northern Ireland. Now, look, I think the tariff on agriculture, uh, you know, it might be around 1% or 2% on average, but uh, EU tariffs on meat imports, they're 30% or more, sometimes 70 or 90%, mm. depending on what type of meat you're talking about. Uh, so, you know, are we going to buy uh, meat from the EU, from Ireland, and not impose a tariff when they're placing such a vast one on us? So we do get back to that question about Irish agriculture being hit hard and, uh, you know, how they're going to replace that. I mean, in theory, they could sell to the United States, but um, of course they're not. Uh, and the EU import tariffs, there's, there's no way in the world that the US would let them if they're going to be uh, mm. have imposed such a hefty fine on their input imports. So, um, and they do produce a lot of beef, of course, over in the United States. Yeah, well, the US, the, the huge, uh, the, the, that's... The U.S.'s advantage of that enormous um, uh, continental plane, the only other country that has a continental plane of the same scale, which is which is as productive or more, is China. And they are going to be eyeing up the U.K. as a place to sell all that beef too, rather than Ireland. And there's another issue as well uh, for Ireland. A lot of the goods that are bound for Europe travel through Britain's ports. This is the other geography question. There's a lot more roll-on, roll-off traffic, in other words, trucks, uh, than there's the, uh, you know, lift-on, lift-off traffic that's going through Irish ports. And then, of course, there's the, uh, you know, so so that, so that roll-on, roll-off traffic wants to go the quickest route. From Cork, in the south of Ireland, the quickest way to get to Paris, for example, is not to get the ferry from Cork to France and then drive. That would take 22 hours. The quickest way is actually go via Wales. Uh, that cuts your journey down time down to 16 hours. My God, the immense amount of research that's gone into this podcast, I can tell you. Uh, and yeah, the well, reason- <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, mate, I am the amateur here. Okay, I'm just actually prompting <laughs> but- you for more facts. And the reason it's quicker to go uh, via the UK is because you've got that route from Dublin uh, to Hollyhead in North Wales. It's a three and a half hour ferry crossing to go from Cork to Brittany, you've basically got to go around, the, you know, the southwest of England that juts out. That's a 14-hour crossing. That is really just about the only way you can get from Ireland to continental Europe without going through Britain. And, uh, you know, all of those, you know, that most of that, the, the traffic which is making its way from Ireland to Europe is going through Britain on trucks. And you've got, mm. you've got two borders. You've got, to, you've got to go into Britain, and then you've got to come out of Britain. There's a huge amount of, uh, you know, and that is the roll-on, roll-off traffic, which is the vast proportion of, uh, of goods that are shipped out of Ireland uh, uh, go by that route. So that is an even bigger problem, isn't it? The administration and the time involved uh, with two customs checks. But that, that also implies, I mean, this is the sort of thing where you want to have some intelligent bureaucrats involved in doing all this sort of stuff. You know, Sir Humphrey Appleby in a good mood. Um, <laughs> I don't think, think they exist. It's, I know, it's very rare, but anyway, uh, even rarer now. But that, that would be a case where you'd actually want to have verification you're going through for re-export. Mm. So you'd say this truck is not going to be uh, going to – it's just passing through, so therefore the goods inside are going to be sealed, and therefore there's no uh, imposition. All you need to get is authorization that you're just using uh, the UK as a transport corridor, and bang, you should not pay any tariffs whatsoever. 
this is sort of the, some of the stuff that should be involved in those negotiations in Brussels that are clearly not happening right now. No, and no one is coming out with an answer as to what they're going to do about the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, how this whole solution is going to be fixed, because an invisible border is not going to work. I mean, we are going to need customs posts of some sort. Northern Ireland staying in the EU, uh, I mean, that's been talked about. I can't see that happening. And does that then mean that uh, Britain would still have to pay fees to the EU because part of the uh, the United Kingdom is still in the EU? And, you know, maybe the only other alternative is a united Ireland, you know, North and South Ireland united together. But that's not going to happen, particularly with the DUP now forming an alliance with the government. So it looks like stalemate. Yeah, they certainly can't afford to have it happen. And that's one thing I, I just say in a few of my trips to Ireland, the feeling, I mean, I, I thought the troubles were behind us, but the just even casual conversation with with taxi drivers, the extent to which they they still know which regions are Catholic and which regions are Protestant in that in that city, it's it's quite scary. So again, we, we've already had one hair trigger, which we didn't expect to see explode with Catalonia and Spain. I wouldn't want a second hair trigger um, in Ireland, though. Of course, the way things are going with the sort of world we seem to live in now, that's um, reasonable odds. So you, you would hope this would be something that leads to unification, but it could just basically be opening up old wounds. So given the, uh, and I think it's going to, going to happen, given some of the figures that we've knocked around, now you understand implicitly the uh, trade between the UK and Ireland more than you ever have in your life. You're dead right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, I mean, it, uh, it is going to hurt. And I'm just wondering whether this becomes, I mean, it hurts when you look at the numbers. It gets more complicated when you look at that whole uh, border issue and transporting through the UK issue. Mm. Uh, I just wonder whether it's going to happen. I wonder whether this whole thing about Ireland is going to be the stumbling block that stops Brexit. Well, I think the, 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 the I think you're right. The hard border is going to have to happen because if you have the whole the, the diplomatic thing that revolting Shenzhen visa thing, which is great for unifying Europe, is dreadful for anybody who applies for it. Speaking from experience of friends who needed to get visas to get into the European Union, but um, they're going to insist on a border. It's going to be necessary. You need border checks at both sides. Uh, whereas at the moment, you know, it, it, it's with this peculiar situation that um, you do face an EU border when you go, if you fly, if you fly from the from UK to Ireland, you do face a, um, you know, you're, you're going inside a, a Shenzhen region from a non-Shenzhen region. So we already have that partial bit of it there. But if you went from an uh, area outside the EU to the EU itself, mm. then that would extend the border for individuals and probably extend it for goods as well. So, yeah, you're not yeah. driving a truck. I mean, that's the complicating factor, isn't it? Look, I mean, um, we're in uncharted territory because Ireland has never been in the EU without the UK being. I mean, we joined just about the same time in 1973. New Zealand's mm. interesting, isn't it? Here's, a, here's an example of a country that was hit hard because it was trading with the UK uh, before uh, the UK joined the EU and then took a hit. So in the 1950s, the UK took about 96% of New Zealand's dairy exports. Now uh, it accounts for about 0.2%, apparently. Ooh. So there's a country that, uh, you know, in Australia as well, I think, to to a great extent as well, was influenced by the fact that uh, the UK changed its, its trading partnership. So I just look at that and think, well, could Ireland be the next New Zealand? Yeah. Actually, turned out quite well in the long term for New Zealand, but it took a it took a while. Yeah, and it uh, could be the same thing for Ireland. I mean, partially you mentioned the port issue. That might be something. But you, you can't physically change that Bristol gets in the way, so there's no way to make it cheaper to do the the um, you know, expanding the port system. You still face that increase in time. Maybe it might be thinking about improving sea transport compared to to land transport. But yeah, I can still see it's. Uh, well, uh, I mean, I mean, could this 
Could it be the? St- I mean, could this all be the sticking point? I still have a theory, and you and I see uh, we're completely at odds here. I, ag- I I agree that there's a huge bumbling bureaucracy uh, that sits within the EU, and uh, Jean Claude Juncker just makes matters worse. Uh, but uh, you know, but even despite all that, I think Britain is better off being part of uh, of the EU rather than being out of it. And I'm just looking and thinking, could this be the stumbling block? Could it actually be that this is an insurmountable question, this whole island situation? And uh, no one has an answer to mm. it. And so you've then, got the, you've then got the choice, well, maybe we just have to back out of it. Uh, or Ireland has to come out too. Which is the other possibility, because my reason for voting for Brexit was that I've, you know, the, the you wanted it all crash. to fall apart. Well, that's, yeah. That's what, yeah, it's like time had collapsed because it's been, it's been, it was a bad idea in the very going beyond just the the, the idea of trade and trying to form economies to scale by reducing trade barriers and not letting customs duties at different um, uh, national borders. That's that was reasonable. Making it to a single currency and then having all the rules on the currency, the the Lisbon Treaty and the Maastricht Treaty limits on government spending. That's what caused this to be not an economic success, but an economic basket case. So I always want to throw the basket away. Uh, but if you threw it away and you went back to the idea of having, uh, you know, standardised customs arrangements, uh, being inside a, effectively a free trade zone, um, and therefore trying to exploit economies of scale on an American American level, which is what the original intention was, that would be worthwhile. But uh, these things never happen in a neat and tidy way. And I knew, of, you know, obviously Spain being a classic instance of anything but neat and tidy, and here's uh, Ireland is another instance of it. But, I mean, but you are a supporter of protectionism in that protectionism can help within a country, for example. It can help you to uh, develop a diversified economy. And we've, we've spoken about that in the past. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opposing. I'm in favour of um, what, what matters most is investment, not specialisation. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, and um, if this, for example, some of these things we're talking about with Ireland might force Ireland to develop its own, oh yeah, you, I don't, you, you couldn't, how, how far, you, you probably know, how many kilometres is it from, uh, from Ireland to Calais to um, the France? It must be, it's not a thousand, but it must be hundreds. You're not going to build a yeah, tunnel but, across no, there. No, I mean, because Cornwall gets in the way, it probably is about a thousand kilometres actually to go from Cork to Lavre, I should imagine, uh, on the north coast in, in Brittany and France. Uh, but yeah, conveniently, Britain is in the way. Uh, again <laughs> how unusual that is <laughs> that's right it took years to build that uh, extension to the southwest of england uh, mm. but um yeah but i mean so i mean it's, I'm, I'm, the question is i guess when you start looking at protectionism do you then say well okay well what are the benefits of a trading block i mean the trade i'd say you know if it's if it's deemed to be a an area that's protected then you're just expend, extending your geographic boundaries a bit aren't you and you're saying well okay for example there's nowhere in the world we're ever going to be able to grow oranges in britain um because the climate's not up to it so let's include a country that can uh, and you know may, maybe um and so that that's why the european union as a trading block makes sense to me you just like treating it as as, as one country in terms of uh, you know the area that you're protecting but you're allowing for diversity which is driven largely i guess by climate yeah and then that's again why you need to have something like the, the americans develop whether they intended to or not whether washington is by far the dominant political element of the government system and the states are minor and your money is paid out of washington rather than out of uh, out of the states that could have been the model for the european union if they'd made that decision uh, back in the 1950s, 1960s, but because of the again the focus upon discipline, that's part of the whole design of the of the euro, courtesy of the 
auto-liberal sect that, that Schäuble belongs to from Germany, uh, you haven't had that equalization. So they've got half of half of what you need to get economies of scale, half of what you could have used to do both the special internal specialization that you're talking about there that I also think makes sense, um, while getting the geographic economies of scale, but they've stuffed it. So, um, and this is the, the Irish <laughs> situation is yet another instance of how it's been stuffed. Mm, yeah, and will be, but will be even more stuffed by pulling it apart. Mm, but at the same time, I mean, I actually had a very interesting conversation uh, on the weekend in Madrid uh, at this a conference I spoke at there, which is called the, the uh, Common Action Forum. But part of it was talking to uh, a woman who was an astrophysicist by career and then became a, a finance minister for um, Estonia. And, of course, Estonia has broken away from Russia uh, but is now trying to become part of the European Union. And when I asked her what the population of Estonia was, I got rather a surprise. I'll see, do you know this factoid? What's what's the Estonia's population? Oh, I doubt that. Very, very. Gotcha. One point four million. I didn't. How, know, how many? I didn't. One point three five. Right. <laughs> so that's a bit too small for economies of scale. And I can see why they want to join in. They wanted to get away from Russia and then join into the European Union. And actually, they're joining the euro as part of this. And I was saying that's an extremely bad decision. You know, join the European Union, please do not join the euro. Mm. Uh, but you can see the the same desire for economies of scale, but being hit at the same time by you know nationalism in the opposite direction um <clears throat> so Boy, we've, we've got ourselves a mess we've yeah, got ourselves we, one hell of a mess we have i mean the, the the uh the ideal for me would be that we forget about the euro the eu says oh yeah that was a bad idea uh we uh, that they say actually we're a bit too big as well let's let's get rid of some of these uh, let's get rid of half the countries because uh, we don't need the economies of scale quite to that extent and um and then britain says oh well, on that basis we'll all come back in but that is a fantasy world isn't it i, I wonder whether particularly another- getting rid of the countries running the borders <laughs> is a different story countries yeah, no, here, no, no, i'm not no, i'm not talking demolishing them i'm not to, i'm not uh, talking about uh, yeah going trump like in and annihilating them um but yeah just removing the border but i uh, but I also wonder, with you know, whether the answer to the Irish question is that Ireland does actually say, "Well, yeah, we're going to pull out of the EU too," and uh, Britain's first fr- free trade agreement is with Ireland. That's quite possible. There might be a better way to go. Uh, we'll wait and see. But uh, I still think it could be the stumbling block. There's no answer to this, is there? I, I'm, I, yeah. I, I actually doubt no. we ever, are ever going to leave. I think we'll be dead before it happens. Yeah, I think we're likely it's going to die on us. This is the other side because um, what's happening with Spain. I mean, the, the, the two parties that are pushing for separatism most strongly in um, in Catalonia, one is uh, right-wing and the other is a bunch of anarchists who were, uh, and, you know, not that I'm totally against anarchy, but uh, they were they were guerrillas at one stage and they're quite happy to go back to that if, if forced. So we'd like to see military conflict within countries uh, as a prelude to whatever's decided uh, about the continuation mm. of the European Union. Yeah, well, we'll see. I think that's going to take longer than the Brexit, nego- you know, supposedly the timetable for Brexit negotiations. It does look like uh, Britain is going to leave with a, with a hard Brexit and, you know, we get back to Ireland. I think they may be the people who suffer the most out of it. Mm, yeah, well, I would, this one, I've got to say I don't know. I've got to take your opinion as being the, uh, the ending point of this conversation. <laughs> it's got to happen once. I could be completely wrong, of course. But, you know, I, I love the feeling for once uh, that I've, I've got the last word. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good to talk, Steve. <laughs> okay, mate. Bye-bye. It's, I really can see no solution to this. I mean, there, there has to be a border, which means vehicles are going to have to be stopped, which is, uh, you know, they do that between Norway and Sweden, by the way. Not every vehicle, but the, uh, the traffic crossing the border there is not transiting in and out of the EU on the same journey. So that makes it a bit 
bit simpler. Uh, whereas if you are transiting through Britain and, you know, Steve's idea that you need to mark it up as just uh, traffic in transit, all those vehicles has to have to be stopped. Even so, between Norway and, and Sweden, there's about a quarter of a million vehicles stopped every year. There's 10,000 lorries and vans crossing the Northern Ireland border every day. So even if there were no tariffs, so even if there was a deal done with the EU, you've still got the administration and the cost and the time disadvantage of having a border dealing with that much traffic. And I suspect that's why nobody has come up with a solution to this one, because there isn't one. Easy to figure out how much we're going to pay the EU to leave, but the Irish border question, unanswerable. Well, next time, a little less of me and more of Steve. I'll get back to asking the questions. I'll be back in my box when we ask, competition, is it always a bad thing? Isn't collusion sometimes a better result? And does that mean that one of the basic tenets of capitalism, competition, is flawed? That's next time with the uh, Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. 